0: Remembering the victims, honoring the survivors, reflecting on 514. This is a special edition of the 930 and 716 podcast from WBEN. I'm Tim Wenger, and we wrap up our special podcast series surrounding the one year mark from 514 22 by focusing on a massive issue that was uncovered in the aftermath of the racist massacre at the Tops Market on Jefferson Avenue. We've already focused on the loss experienced in the community, the racial divide, and where we're at and headed as a community. This issue, though, of a food desert is a controversial one. With Tops closed for an extended period of time, it exposed a zone in East Buffalo underserved with regard to food and nutrition. I remember being on Jefferson Avenue and along East Ferry Street for some of the food drives and the mobile tops that was established, and some of the flash food distributions that occurred. Yeah. This this store closure is a is a big deal in this neighborhood. It's a, it's a big deal, and we live in this area, so there's really, if you want to go shopping, you got to go ways, um, and that's that's sad. Um, that's, that's, that's a huge disappointment for this community, but, um, even though this happened, God gave us the opportunity to come out and bless the community as well give them fresh produce, meat, um, um, all kinds of vegetables or all kinds of canned goods and stuff. So even though there was bad. God allowed us to do some good. So. Yeah. Pastor Kamoche from the Rehoboth House of Prayer talking with me in the days following 514 in a parking lot adjacent to Tops, distributing needed food to a community in shock and looking for resources. So one year later, we take a deep dive into the issue of food instability in the Buffalo community, how key agencies and leaders responded in a big way.
1: Well, Feedmore Western New York was really honored and privileged to partner with many different organizations in the community um, to make sure that we were working together to distribute those nutritious food, uh, those emergency food boxes, as well as those hygiene items and other household essential items that many people were relying solely on that TOPS market. Um, the voice of
0: necess- Catherine Schick with Feedmore Western New York. WBEN's Randy Bushover assembled a panel along with Catherine to discuss the food instability issue exposed by 514. She's joined by Dina Thompson, executive director of the Erie County Restorative Justice Coalition, who also heads the steering committee of the Buffalo United Resiliency Center, and Thomas Beaufort, Jr., President of the Buffalo Urban League.
1: So we mobilized alongside Erie County, the City of Buffalo, Resource Council of Western New York, the Johnny B. Wiley Pavilion, and we were holding um, multi-week—I'm uh, sorry, multi-day distributions each each um, week, um, where community members could come and pick up those emergency food boxes, as well as fresh produce items, along with those household items, in order to help them. Um, during the time of those temporary closure of TOPS-friendly markets. And Dina, the work Mm -hmm. that you do, first of all, Executive Director of the Erie County Restorative Justice Coalition, but an offshoot of that, you're part of the steering committee for the Buffalo United Resiliency Center. So talk about how what you do kind of dovetails
2: on what Catherine was providing, more the mental health, but Not just that. Having the stakeholders at the table was the most important priority for us. So we are reached out to by the DA's office um, to have a convening space that was um, removed from a lot of the things that were happening around Jefferson, um, honoring what was happening there and people being able, or community resources being able to meet the needs of the community there, but to have a space to come up with a sustainable plan to support this uh, community as long as we could. Um, and so part of that plan was with the DA's office, uh, we opened it up to the DA's office, the FBI, uh, local um, organizations uh, were there faith-based community and our law enforcement, we all came together. We talked about what are the needs of the community right now. The, the, the forefront need was how do we establish and we recreate what the services that TOPS was offering um, so that we could still resource the community. Um, And then where could we do this? Um, the place that was the most convenient to do that was the Resource Council of Western New York. It was right in the community. Um, It was easy for community members to get through Um, so we made a phone call and uh, Catherine Roberts was more than willing uh, to offer her space for us to set up a a, a makeshift tops and when I say the kind of makeshift tops I mean a place to get food supply Mm -hmm. a place to pay your gas and light bill um, a place to have your uh, banking done, pharmaceutical like all of those needs that people weren't necessarily thinking about or that you go to TOPS uh, to do, like we really wanted to replicate that. But also TOPS was also a place for meeting and gathering. It's a place where community came together, and you could not walk into TOPS uh, Market on a Sunday without – finding somebody that you knew and having a conversation. And so we wanted to know that the community was harmed by this incident, but we're also resilient in this incident. And so we wanted to create a space that we could support each other, not just with basic needs, but also the social emotional needs that we needed as well. And so, again, partnerships came in with um, Best Self um, came in, the CAA CAO came in with the uh, talking about some of the impacts that people felt with um uh, assistance for uh rental or gas or light or all of these things that came up as a result and so we wanted to have a place for people to come and be able to get all those needs met and also gather together talk about um maybe mental health supports alternatives to intervention so out of all of that and all the services that we provided um, for people there we um we asked people what is what was it in addition that you needed for the services that were provided here. So through all of that, developed the steering committee. And out of the steering committee, the needs that were coming up first and foremost were mental health, um, spiritual needs, uh, uh, and unmet needs, needs that people did not foresee that the Red Cross helped us meet a a lot of those gap needs that the Resource Council was not meeting, or community-based organizations didn't, uh, yet have the resources to meet. And then there was the um, alternatives to intervention. And so uh, creating spaces for people to gather or healing spaces that might be music or jams or art, or um, as our senior citizen says, we had to replicate bingo or um, knitting or sewing classes just so people could find healing in other ways that were um, maybe unconventional, mm-hmm. but very, um, uh, ancestral for all of us. So the the things that our ancestors did to to communicate and to gather together, we wanted to continue to replicate those things for people.
1: Thomas, you uh, kind of have talked about the fact of the fractures for different parts of the community. Is there something that actually was good that came out of that in terms of some of the services you're able to provide and things that continue to this day that actually are improved from a year
3: ago? Certainly. I mean, the 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 extent of the hate, uh, the, uh, the exposure that that, um, her, you know, horrendous act brought to this city, mm-hmm. I mean, it brought out, I want to say, humanity, and it made real people um, across this city and beyond, across this globe, examine, you know, their place and their space in uh, the conditions that existed in this small community, in this small community, and in many others. So, you know, as people began to examine that, I mean, you could no longer ignore uh, that uh, this thing was happening, and it was happening to people we love, people we uh, uh, who were family, friends, uh, associates, but um, you know, again, back to this whole sense of humanity, even if you did not have a personal relationship, uh, you saw that that type of uh, hatred had no place anywhere. So, you know, we started to see um, the response come from a a broad, broad community. And it was not, it was a more guided response. It was no longer a, a rising tide response that says, oh, if we or a curb cut response that says if you fix this thing, these other things will eventually uh, benefit. So no, there were there was a lot of deliberate, and continues to be a lot of um, deliberate um, uh, actions um, to um, not only um, address the issues that happened uh, as a result of 514, but many of the pre-existing conditions that made Buffalo and specifically that location such a ripe target for this type of hatred. And when I speak of that, making a ripe right target, I talk about um, one, the, the history of redlining that compressed um, a particular demographic of people into a small space. And then when you got them into that space, you had a lack of investment, uh, uh, you know, housing uh, um, that did not uh, increase in value as it did in other places. So over time, a lack of investment in the businesses and infrastructure. So over time, you know, it wasn't a very integrated space. So, and then um, beyond, so let's look over the first thing. If you wanted, if your target was to um, harm a certain group of people, then you know that you can go to a certain area and you would have a critical mass of those people. If you also did not want to mistakenly harm another group of people, that was also a good site because of the lack of integration. And also, if you were picking a target, and you would say on any given day, how could I be assured that there would be, you know, enough people there that I can inflict this type of harm? When you have um, a, a kind of a sole resource within a, a huge radius, the chances of you going to some place, especially on a Saturday afternoon, in a communal space, which is, you know, culturally that's that's just the way we exist in black and brown communities. That you knew you could come to this place and inflict that type of harm. It was a very right target. So, um, efforts going forward are not only looking at how do we uh, try to address what happened and the trauma after May 14th, but how, we, how do we exist to the pre existing conditions and the causation? Um, and then let's come up with some transformational uh, change, systems change to um, move the city forward, move them from, uh, uh, from uh, surviving. thriving. How
0: to connect the dots, how to meet the needs of the community. Thomas Beaufort of the Urban League continues our conversation on a special 930 and 716 514 conversation.
3: The community at large responded um, there was a very um, immediate response, which we saw people parachuting in and coming in from everywhere, and you could barely walk um, up and down Jefferson Avenue in and, an adjoining, and adjoining neighborhood, um, which really um, was reminiscent of the way that community looked many years ago when it served as a um, commercial corridor for the, for the black community. Um, so there was all that immediate response, and some of it left in a very organized way, and some of it said, "Hey, it's time to go," and we're out. Mm-hmm. Um, some left um, residual resources, um, and then there um, there was, uh, you know, some funding that happened. And then you heard about immediate responses. I mean, intermediate responses, such as the Resiliency Center that was set up to be, have, be multiple years to concentrate resource um, in a specific area and um, address many of the social determinants and really get people back as best possible as much possible to their center right this 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 thing about this act was not in in terms of just taking lives it was also to take away um our our sense of security and instill a sense of fear so you know just getting people to um beyond that one day at a time from monday to tuesday but on the long term it's really about uh, how do we get economic development in that community how do we address the housing issues um the the uh old housing stock, how do we address the uh, environmental issues in the lead paint and some of the other pre-existing conditions in that neighborhood, uh, one of the few places where commercial uh, industry sat right besides residential properties. So, you know, you, you have a lot of brownfield conditions there. How do we get past that? How do we start to uh, improve in terms of jobs and, um, and then, um, you know, investment in that community? And then how do we do it in such a way that we have this development that happens without displacement? Because um, there is another organization that was set apart uh, through some uh, funding called the Buffalo Together Community Response Fund. Uh, And this was really to address that specific thing. What is the long-term strategic plan that's sustainable or not plan but also actions that are sustainable to address this? all with looking um with this uh lens of development without displacement because what we want to have is that that community and the residents who have been there for years and lived in those conditions that were suboptimal how do they then become a part of this community as it as it grows or become or, or develops because it will happen it's not a question of will there be development in the east side but um when it does happen, as it has happened in many other communities, as people thought were the last frontier, right? But then all of a sudden it happens. Uh, when that does happen, will those people be, um, have equity in its development? Will they participate in that? And after it becomes mature, will they be able to retain their residency and thrive and be a part of that uh, thriving community? So these are a lot of the actions. And then, you know, from educational and from the hope for the youth, if we can, um, get rid of some of those conditions and the obstacles and impediments that also help to um, perpetuate those conditions. You know, we know that our youth can learn better if they come to school without all of the, you know, having to carry the load of all that, trying to learn with all of what they face uh, and what they bring to them from their households and their communities. So we know it's not a, it's a multifaceted problem. It's going to need uh, multifaceted solutions and it can't be done sequentially and it can't be the fallout of what's happening in other communities. It, it has to be very deliberate and intentional.
1: Dina obviously that resonated with you so go ahead.
2: Yeah everything he said resonated with me because it's um, um, I, I think about back to your original question is like what has come out of this where are we one year later and I think one thing that I see that is really powerful in this city is the coming together Um, we have to all come together and address this as a community everyone has a voice at the table and I think that um, we used to have a lot of different tables um, and I think that these tables that we're developing now to look forward into the future to have sustainable change as more voices are being invited to the table. So even the people who are residents um, of the community that has been most impacted, their voice is having the same equity as funders mm-hmm. um, at the table. Um, because we can't make systemic change, number one, unless we're investing in, as Thomas said, our most valuable resources, which are the individuals, the people who live in and of the community. If we're not building them up through education, through jobs, through um, the opportunity for advancement, if we're not building them up spiritually and and mentally and physically, if we're not investing in the people, it doesn't matter if we build buildings. Um, So a lot of the things is inviting people to the table and really supporting people's social, emotional, mental, and physical health. Um, So getting our people really, really strong. It's also expanding the table. This is not an east side problem. This Mm -hmm. is a Buffalo problem. And when we begin to start saying what happens on the east side impacts all of Buffalo, and when the east side thrives, we all thrive. Like when we begin to have those conversations, then we begin to see our whole city prosper and not just one side of the city. So I was Born and raised on Jefferson Avenue, um, I, I not only was I born and raised, but my great grandparents came from Jefferson. I remember going down Jefferson with my great grandmother shopping with our bags, and everyone greeting her by her last name, and and how proud I felt like walking down there. I remember buying my first pair of shoes on Jefferson Avenue, and I couldn't wait to to get them from this store so I could go to school and tell everybody, yeah, my mother shops at that store too. Like I remember the joys of being in that in that neighborhood, but I also remember there were challenges back then too um, and so I'm not looking back to grasp on what was um, it In the past but I'm looking forward I want to take those memories of the senior citizens who were born raised and still live on on Jefferson Avenue their voice is important Mm -hmm. investing in Buffalo in the future of Buffalo means really supporting our youth so how are we supporting the roof through education through job training through modeling Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of these voices we're creating a lot of these tables for a lot of these voices to say you know what this is how I envision Buffalo in the future how can we make this happen happen. So I really feel like, to Thomas's point, it starts with listening first. So let's listen, and then we develop this plan together. Um, And there should be some transparency in the plan, because there's a lot of great things happening in Buffalo behind the scenes, and we don't know it. So we think a um, a year later, there's not much change, because me personally, I might feel the same way. Like I said, I came in here with a lot of feelings of last year, but things are changing. And so the more I think we can be transparent about what's happening in the city of Buffalo, the more we can invite more people to the table and participate in the change. People are more likely to stick with the change when they're a part of the change um, that's happening. So when we can find more opportunities to do that, and that is happening in pockets in Buffalo, we just need to expand and uh, and connect that because our possibility and our future is strong in this city. And we can see that by the resilience and the tenacity of the people on the east side.
0: Dina Thompson, executive director of the Erie County Restorative Justice Coalition, along with Thomas Beaufort of the Urban League and Catherine Schick of Feedmore, Western New York. My thanks to W.B.E.N. Susan Rose and Randy Bushover for their contributions here. I'm Tim Wenger. Thanks for joining us for a special four episode 930 and 716-514 conversation. All four episodes are are available for you at WBEN.com.